0: I'm your host, Lacey Ramsey. And I'm your host, Alex Brennan. We are a podcast for the strange and unusual.
1: Every other Friday, we release an episode where one of your hosts teaches the other about a topic or event that we find to be strange or unusual.
0: On Monday, before the episode is released, we post our custom-themed cocktail recipe so you have time to get the ingredients
1: and drink along with us. So sit back and relax. It's time for Crackpot Cocktail Hour.
0: A short time ago, an American airplane dropped one bomb on Hiroshima. 21 days after the New Mexico dress rehearsal, a lone B-29 was over Hiroshima carrying an atomic bomb. At 8.15 in the morning of August 6th, Japanese time, the first atomic bomb hit an enemy target. The destructive force of 15,000 tons of TNT, a mass of rubble. Yet... Less than a mile from ground zero, a human being in a shelter should have survived. This atomic radiation that is leading to so many new and useful developments is energy released by radioactive atoms. The discovery of this kind of energy was made more than half a century ago by the French chemist and physicist Henri Becquerel. Because radiations come from the nuclei of atoms, Scientists usually speak of nuclear radiation rather than atomic radiation. So if there is plenty of uranium-235, one neutron can, at the very least, release two neutrons. The two can release four, the four eight, the eight sixteen, and so on.
1: We're recording again.
0: This is crazy. I uh, feel so unprepared, but I guess I don't have to do anything. (laughs) To our listeners, uh, the quality
1: of this episode may be a little bit different than previous episodes. This is our first ever Skype episode, so luckily we got everything set up and working, so yay! Yay, hopefully. (laughs) Um, If the audio sounds weird, I will try
0: to fix it in post. uh, If I can't... Remember, we love you. Yeah, I second that. I, I'm not drinking our cocktail because I have one portion left, and I'm gonna drink it on a uh, group call today so I can advertise <laughs> my cocktail because <laughs> it's pretty to look at. It's like got a demon core in the middle of it. That's the only thing I know about this episode. <laughs> so yeah. I'm networking. Myself- networking. Networking. I'm, sad, I'm sad you didn't get to try it. I, 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 My feelings are a tiny bit hurt, but I'll be able to move on, I think. I think I'll be able to grow from this.
1: Probably also explain why I haven't had the cocktail. So um, when we realize that we're going to have to continue doing social distancing and all of our podcasting is pretty much going to be <laughs> Uh I needed to pick up my microphone from Lacey's house. So we did a social distancing exchange where
0: I showed up at her door. And, and she, she also gave- brought toilet paper.
1: <laughs> I didn't know if you wanted me to bring up the teepee for your bunghole or not.
0: <laughs> yeah, bring it all up. I think we gotta be real honest during this quarantine. <laughs> <laughs> so uh,
1: I have an inside source for toilet paper. Uh, my building manager works for Costco, so uh, and then my husband will drive him home on days that they both happen that they both work. So whenever I need toilet paper, Lou will just buy some for us and then Heath will drive him home so Lacey was telling us how they were down to what one roll
0: yeah i think we had maybe two and i was like we live next to a convenience store like if we need to it'll be fine it's just like if you've got a bunch of extra i could definitely use a few rolls to get me through and then there's
1: no guarantee that the convenience store is going to have any on top of that exactly So uh, I was like, well, I just got like this giant 30 pack. I'll bring you toilet paper. You give me my microphone and we'll do an exchange. But when I showed up at Lacey's house, not only she didn't have like the cocktail like together in a glass, but she had parsed out all the ingredients. She gave me like a little card that was like, "Okay, this is how you do it. This is how you put it together. This is what it's supposed to look like. And it was so perfectly put together. And then I didn't make
0: it. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> did Tell me you didn't throw the vodka out. Tell me. I did not throw the have, vodka have, out. Okay, I'm planning good. to use
1: that. That's gonna be a part of brunch tomorrow. <laughs>
0: Okay, good deal. It's like, it would break my heart more so if I knew the good vodka had been wasted.
1: Like, <laughs> the lemon slice that has, that was in there is probably different colors now, but the vodka is still good. Vodka's always good.
0: <laughs> That's why I parceled it out, too, because I was like, the vodka will be good no matter what, so even if the other stuff goes bad... <laughs> <laughs> I, I can tell everybody what the cocktail is. Yeah, to what the cocktail is, even though we're not drinking it. Yes, uh, so I'll be drinking mine later. Um, Alex will get another opportunity at a later date, probably, to drink one. Uh, this episode is about the demon core. I don't know what that is, so Alex is going to fill us in <laughs> in a little bit. But I built a drink uh, based off a lemon drop called the Demon Drop, because you just have to change one letter. Let we'll The Demon drop. <laughs> the demons hit the floor uh so the demon drop is three parts simple syrup one and a half part lemon juice oh wait no that's the mocktail recipe i was like why is the vodka (laughs) (laughs) that's the important part we just discussed why that's the important part (laughs) no Uh, look i've I've got it up on my phone here so i'm a little bit less like normally have a note card where i've written everything out that i'm going to say (laughs) for the cocktail all right so the cocktail for the demon drop is two parts vodka one and a half part simple syrup, one part lemon juice. I added a dash of Szechuan pepper bitters just because I think they add depth and complexity. And then I also added a frozen sphere of cranberry juice. So we've got these like spherical molds and I made that. And so you make the drink like a lemon drop and then you put the frozen cranberry juice in the middle and it's like this glowing core. And the drink starts out pretty strong but as the cranberry juice melts, it kind of infuses the drink with more red color and also a little bit more sweetness and little more dilution, so I figured that would be kind of like some sort of nuclear leaching process. I don't know. This is this is my <laughs> best my best guess at what this uh, is going to well, no be I feel like
1: an even bigger asshole for not drinking this. <laughs>
0: That's <laughs> all right. You'll get you'll get another chance. Uh, so the mocktail recipe is 3 parts simple syrup, one-and-a-half-part lemon juice, a dash of Szechuan pepper bitters, frozen sphere of cranberry juice, and you build it the same way. I do want to add that I realized um, after looking over the bitters and the cocktail spice that I use, a lot of them uh, do have a percentage of alcohol, and so they're not alcohol-free, but because they're like a tiny bottle that you add a couple of drops to a cocktail, <laughs> I'm not super concerned <laughs> about it. I just wanted to have like a disclaimer for all of our listeners who might have like an allergy or sensitivity or just be trying to avoid alcohol altogether. You can make most of the cocktails without the bitters and without the cocktail spice and it'll be lacking a little bit of the depth but if you want to avoid the alcohol entirely. I just wanted to have a note about that, so huzzah.
1: So if you're okay with rum raisin ice cream, you should be
0: okay with the cocktail. Yeah, very much. But if you're like not a drop, nothing, then you, you're going to want to avoid just any of the bitters or the cocktail spice.
1: Fair enough. Uh, we should also put a disclaimer that because we are social distancing and part of like our whole experience is enjoying the cocktail together, we will not be doing cocktails until we're back together again. <laughs> yeah
0: i'm I have I have some thoughts. I'm still gonna try and work on it. Um, i'm I'm hopeful I can come up with something I've got a really I've got an idea I'm really excited about for the next one, so I'm gonna see if okay. I can make it work. And I realized one of the big obstacles that I thought I had was, I'm so spoiled, right? So part of my process for coming up with the cocktails So I like to, this is, you know, in the before times, non, non-virus times, I like <laughs> to go to Total Wine and I like to walk around and I like to see what they have and see what I like and, like, I, it's a whole, like, experience for me <laughs> and I was like, well, I can't do that. I don't know how I'm going to come up with them and then I remembered, Lacey in Washington, you can buy liquor at the grocery store. <laughs> <laughs> so, well there's that <laughs> yeah so I was like okay cool well as long as I can just like have some foresight in my like bi-weekly like every other week grocery trip then I should be alright uh, I'm making no promises but I am really hopeful because it's, it's one of my favorite parts of this is like having that to contribute
1: yeah well also in uh, two more episodes we'll be at episode 20 yay woo-hoo! which is true crime and wine on the dimes Which I'm very excited about. Yeah, I have no idea what Lacey's doing. Granted, I didn't warn her that we were doing Kathy Sesnick until I showed up and was like, where's Uh, my
0: wine? That was incredible. Uh, I was telling Lee a little bit about, I won't tell you now, but I was just telling him about what I'm going to do for true crime, because we've talked about he and I have talked about this thing that I want to share. And like, even this morning, I was like, Well, I'm excited about this. And then I want to explore this. And I think that this will be really ripe right for the conversation. I was just like getting myself super hyped for it. <laughs> so I'm, I'm pretty pumped. I'm glad we're recording again.
1: I'm glad that you also um, bounce ideas off your spouse because uh, so this episode, The Demon Core, it has to do everything around the core of an atomic bomb. So oh, I had to ask Heath, is like, this analogy that I'm going to throw at you, does this make sense to you? Is this like, okay? And he was like, oh, yeah, it sounds fine. And then I found a better analogy. Hold on a second. My battery's dying. Oh no. Last thing we want is for the battery to die in the middle of recording. Oh,
0: We're finally
1: so doing this again
0: yeah I plugged in my laptop and unplugged my vaporizer so that the battery wouldn't die don't worry I still have my vape pen no (laughs) No one needs to be concerned okay as long as you have
1: your priorities in line that's all that matters
0: (laughs) and my coffee with the coconut cream liqueur you know we're just starting the day out really right today
1: So usually when uh, we record, I don't know how it is for you, but I'm usually looking over my report or my notes at least a day or so before we start recording. That way everything's still fresh in my mind. Yeah, for sure. I haven't looked at this since I wrote it a month ago. So we'll see what happens.
0: Go ahead and blow the dust off your thoughts here. All right, so you ready? I'm as ready as I'm ever gonna be, I think. All right.
1: July 16th of 1945, in the deserts of New Mexico, what is about to take place is the culmination of three years of work. In the watchtower sits the gadget, the implosion-designed plutonium device. 425 members of the Los Alamos facility are present. At 529 a.m., the world enters the weaponized atomic age, The energy released was the equivalent of 22 kilotons of TNT. I don't even know what a kiloton is. Well, thousand ton. Oh. Ton is different in the...
0: the Right. Okay.
1: (laughs) Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. So it's the equivalent of... Still, 22 kilotons of TNT is insane. And it gently irradiates the desert sand, transforming it in an instant into a green glass. Upon witnessing the explosion, Dr. Robert Oppenheimer directly remembered thinking of a verse from the Hindu holy book, the Bhagavad Gita. In the radiance of a thousand suns were to burn all at once into the sky. That would be like the splendor of the mighty one. Now I am become death, destroyer of worlds.
0: Yeah. (laughs) It's creepy and menacing. I like it.
1: So, a lot of people actually credit Dr. Oppenheimer with that quote I am become
0: death, the destroyer of worlds, but it's actually from the Hindu holy book. That's a good clarification. I have a passing familiarity with the Bhagavad Gita because my English uh, world religions, or it was my high school like English class. There was also like a world religions class you could take as an elective. And so I took that and learned about like polytheistic things I didn't know about before.
1: Oh, that's cool. I
0: had none of that knowledge. <laughs> yeah.
1: Apparently Robert Oppenheimer did. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So that was in uh, July of 1945, and as we know, uh, about a month—well, actually even less than a month—later, we dropped the two atomic bombs on Nagasaki and Hiroshima in Japan, thus leading to the end of World War
0: II. I'm sorry, someone needs—he's trying to get his (laughs) meows into our podcast, and I'm trying. Hi, Jeremy. Jeremy. All right, get in there.
1: (laughs) If I can I get close. him contained,
0: he'll meow less.
1: I've uh, locked myself in my bedroom, so I can hear Skye's little, like, click, click, click of her claws outside the door. Because <laughs> I can tell she wants in, but I'm like, no, I love you, you intrusive little
0: monkey. Sorry to interrupt. He's just going to keep circling and meowing unless I restrain him.
1: Oh, it's okay. I All can right. cut this out. That's the <laughs> magic of editing. <laughs> I can make That's us look fair. like geniuses. <laughs> keep going. On May 21st of 1946, the team at Los Alamos credited with the creation of the Fat Man and Little Boy, the respective atomic weapons, detonated in Hiroshima, Nagasaki, Japan on August 6th and August 9th of of the previous year. These dual bombings directly resulted in the Japanese surrender and the end of the Second World War. These events left approximately 129,000 To 226,000 dead, either from the immediate effects of the bombings or complications due to injury from radioactive fallout. Whoa, that is a massive toll of human life. Yeah, I mean, like, we, the only thing we can think of these days is like the September 11th attacks, but in those, it was 3,000 dead. This is. Right. Yeah. Whew, okay. Yeah, that's good for getting a sense of scale. Um, so, due to their successes, testing and studying still continued at the Los Alamos and Atoll Islands in the Pacific. On this day, Louis Sloden was conducting a criticality test. He's a 35 year old Canadian national who previously worked in both the Manhattan Project and the Trinity Test. And the Trinity Test is when they detonated the first atomic bomb. Okay. A prodigy in his youth, he entered the University of Manitoba at 16 and later moved to King's College in London. On July 16th of 1945, it was Sloden who assembled the atomic core for the Trinity Test. Okay.
0: That was that guy. So he's been like pretty involved with a lot of atomic things up to this point.
1: Yeah, and there's actually a really good episode of uh, Dark Matters which covers this story. Um, it's hosted by John Noble, who some people know as the Steward of Gondor from Lord of the Rings or maybe Dr. Walter Bishop from Fringe. But they talk about how there are really two schools of thoughts when it came to the different scientists at the Los Alamos facility. There were the older generation that were fascinated by solving the problem, but you know, they were careful, they wanted to make sure everything was right. And then there were these young prodigies like Sloden who were like, dude, this is so cool, look what I can do with physics! And they were more of like the shoot from the hip kind of cowboy types.
0: So like less circumspect, more like, let's check out the potential of this and less concerned with like, let's make sure we're reining it in.
1: Yeah, they're very much the shoot first, ask questions later. It's better to ask for forgiveness than permission. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, all right. So on May 21st of 1946, he again is responsible for the heart of an atomic bomb. The plutonium device is much like the one used in Fat Man during World War II. Seven men join Sloden. They are Alvin Cushman Graves, who is to be Slotin's replacement because he's about to move on. Okay. Dwight Smith Young, Marion Edward Silicki. I'm sorry if I pronounced that incorrectly. Raymer E. Schreiber, Theodore P. Perlman, Private Patrick J. Cleary, and Samuel Allen Klein. Okay. And uh, the Private is actually a guard inside the facility at the time, so he's not a scientist that's taking part in the test, he's just there. (laughs) Despite the superstitions of the other, Sloden is unconcerned. You see, this core has reputation. Exactly 9 months earlier, the core took the life of Harry Diane, a 24-year-old laboratory assistant when the core went critical and irradiated the young man. He died oh, whoa. 4
0: days later. What does it yeah. mean can you help me understand like what go critical means? Oh, we're going to get to that in just a second. Okay, cool, cool. So after it went critical
1: and it killed this guy, everyone was kind of afraid of this core and this core later became nicknamed the Demon Core. Now we're going to introduce a brand new friend to the show. This is Mr. Radiation. Well, hi there, Mr. Radiation. I'm curious about what you have to say. So Lacey, I hear you have some questions about criticality and what it means for a bomb to go critical. How does it work? So, inside the core, you have an actual ball of plutonium or uranium, depending on who uses it. Now, from this core, out are shooting neurons in all directions. But in everyday life, if it's not enriched to the proper degree, they'll just go out into space and nothing will happen unless you're too close. All but right. the problem is, not all materials are like this. If you take something like beryllium, you put the beryllium sphere around the plutonium core and suddenly those neutrons have nowhere to go. They start firing around like pinballs inside a machine going crazy. (laughs) I think I'm getting the picture. (laughs) As these pinballs go around at nearly the speed of light, they continue to multiply as they shed off from the plutonium core. And when they are unable to escape, Oh my, you are in for a treat! Suddenly, they instantly ionize all the atoms, letting out a blue glow and shooting beta and gamma rays out in all directions, permeating all materials, and shredding them to pieces with radioactive material. Think of them as tiny atomic bullets that hate you and everything else. Well, that doesn't sound very safe at all. The problem is a criticality test needs to be conducted on all cores. Reason being, you need to make sure you have the right amount of plutonium or uranium dependent on your core base to beryllium to make sure that the core is going critical correctly. Mm. Now, these two things alone may create a radioactive criticality, but you actually need more explosives on top of that
0: to create what we know as the atomic bomb. All right. So it needs something to contain it and it needs to be contained properly, and otherwise it will go critical, and these nuclear atomic bullets will tear apart everything within a certain range of it? That is correct. That will
1: bring us up to the event in question, and when this core actually got this old nickname of the Demon Core.
0: (laughs) All right, well, I'm ready to hear about it. All right, back to you, (laughs) Alec. Man, you know, we are getting some real experts these days on this podcast. Mr. Radiation isn't easy to come
1: by. I had to go through several agents and then I had to sign a few
0: waivers. So, I mean, I'm just saying. Thanks, Mr. Radiation. We appreciate your time. Don't tell the government. (laughs) I I wouldn't dream of it. (laughs) So on this
1: day, Sloden's conducting one of these criticality tests. And the way you really conduct this test is you slowly lower the beryllium sphere over the plutonium core. And as you're lowering it over it, you actually have a counter that's measuring uh, the amount of radiation. So I'm sure you've seen uh, either Geiger counters or decimeters in various shows. It's like that mm-hmm. little thing you wave around and it goes click, 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 click. Those clicks are radio- or radioactive bullets hitting it. So the more it's clicking, Oh, the more radiation
0: yeah. that, that makes like I knew that more clicks equal more radiation I just like didn't necessarily understand like how that functioned
1: yeah so uh, everything in the world around us is a little radioactive it's just the nature of it but like with all things in nature too much of anything is bad for you sure. and that's really the simplest way to put it okay so if I were to take out a Geiger counter in my apartment I might hear a click 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 I might hear some stuff But that's not something that's going to hurt me. There are certain ranges that when
0: you get to a certain level, that's when you're really in trouble. It's just like we all need to like drink a certain amount of water each day, but a tsunami will still kill you.
1: Yeah. Well, also, there is a water toxicity, but that's a True. whole
0: different thing. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. I remember learning about that in like his uh, chemistry class where like if you drink enough water, you can get drunk. And so all my straight edge friend- friends were like, what? Drunk off water? How do we do this? <laughs> and our, our teacher is basically like, you're going to die before you ever get drunk off water. Please don't try to do this.
1: Yeah, there was uh, actually a very infamous case where uh, I'm sure you've heard of like the Hold Your We contest.
0: I probably haven't heard of this because it's not a skill I possess, even on the shortest of parts,
1: <laughs> So some contests will be like, uh, you need to uh, hold your pee, or it could be like you, or like those contests like where you have to like have your hand on it, and the last person with their hand on it gets to keep it. Yeah, so, that,
0: that made sense to me,
1: yeah. Yeah, so a radio was doing a uh, contest for hold your wee for a wee. So they had people drink a lot of water, and then it was whoever could hold
0: their bladder the longest. One a Nintendo Wii. And then the radio station paid for all the medical bills for the people who had burst bladders and UTIs and all of that, right? Sure. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Uh, But one woman who uh, participated in this contest, and I think she actually did not win the Wii in the end. She went home, not feeling well, and she was later hospitalized and died of water toxicity.
0: Yeah, so like, don't hold your Wii for too long. This is something my body refuses to allow me to do. (laughs) (laughs) Your body is smart.
1: It's like, flush those kidneys! So if you're imagining a criticality test where someone's lowering a ball of beryllium over a plutonium core, it doesn't seem like a
0: delicate process or anything (laughs) how how in your mind would you imagine that would work um i imagine that this would be like done at a distance and I picture like a big room with like the beryllium core in the middle like with the you're trying to lower the beryllium over the plutonium with like a long machine arm and so everybody's like outside the room looking through like this protective glass and like this mechanism is lowering it That's how I'm picturing it. See, you're smart. That's not what they did. It was literally a guy with a screwdriver. Are you fucking kidding me? (laughs) I wish I was. So
1: between 315 and 320, Sloten begins his test, lowering the beryllium lid over the plutonium core. As he does, the Geiger counter begins clicking faster and faster. He's balancing the top of the sphere with one hand while the other hand is using a screwdriver, and he's using a flathead, so originally he's having it so the uh, it's perpendicular to the table and, like, slowly rotating it so he it can get okay. a little deeper. The team watches and waits as the neutrons quickly multiply and ricochet wildly off the beryllium walls. It's 320, and the screwdriver slips. Oh, no. So this is what another scientist referred to as tickling the dragon's tail as you're slowly lowering it. But as the brilliant sphere clamps down, immediately a flash of blue light rockets out from the core, propelling neutron, gamma, and beta radiation in all directions. Well,
0: that's probably fine. <laughs> Remember what Mr. Radiation said? <laughs> They're like bullets. It's like tiny radiation bullets. Blue light, very bad. Blue <laughs> light is a bad, bad thing. We you know that from um, the British British Airways flight that we talked about. Blue light, <laughs> not good. You see blue light, you see a blue shift
1: in your emissions, you need to drop out
0: If you don't know what we're talking about, go back and listen to that episode. Why are you on this episode if you haven't listened to the other episodes? There's so many other episodes.
1: Actually, I was just talking about faster than light speed travel. Oh, wow. That uh, escaped me. <laughs> uh, read the books uh, Red Lightning and Blue Thunder. Uh, it's It goes more into the science of it. I won't do it. Anyway! All right. So after it clamps down, Slotin's reaction is immediate. His left hand is already atop the core when he moves to rip the beryllium casing away. In a moment, it's over as quickly as it started. Slotin can only stare at his palms in disbelief. At this time, the military provides dissimeter badges. I should probably explain what dissimetry badges are. Yeah. So they look like little white cards. And you would usually put them like in your breast pocket, and as it becomes irradiated, it turns black. So, how black it is actually determines how much radiation you've been exposed to. So, so like,
0: it's something you can keep your eye on and be like, I need to get out of here because it's I've been exposed to too much?
1: Yeah. So, uh, there were actually tests done uh, actually around this same time in Nevada when they were doing the tests out there, where they were trying to see if they could march soldiers into an area immediately after a bomb was dropped. So they'd have these soldiers in these ditches, they'd drop an atomic bomb, and then as the dust was sweeping everywhere, they would have the soldiers climb out and head towards the blast site. Okay. And they were all wearing these badges, and the idea was that you could look at the badge afterwards and see, okay, well, how much was each soldier exposed to? They were almost all black. They almost all died.
0: Yikes. We did some really stupid things with atomic testing. Yeah. Yeah, that's pretty, uh, pretty terrifying. Just like, yeah, we're going to drop this bomb. It's probably fine. We're going to see whether it's fine. Just go march toward the area of radiation and, uh, you know, we'll see what happens. And what happens is you die. Yeah, so
1: in this lab, they have these badges, and you're supposed to wear them at all times when dealing with radiation because it's a good way to gauge like how much you picked up during various tests. Sure. But it's after the test that he's like, we should probably grab those badges and like see how much there how much we were irradiated. Yeah, but you weren't wearing them at the time of the event.
0: Oh my gosh.
1: So they have no idea. They have no fucking idea. So they do get the badges, and like, as soon as they get them, they're like, wait, what the fuck are we doing? This is stupid. I mean, this isn't going to tell us anything. Right. So when they realize that the data would be irrelevant, Slotin actually opts for a second action. He goes to the chalkboard, grabs a piece of chalk, and he tells all the men to mark their places on the floor. Like, he tells them, don't move. Mark where you were on the floor, and then he takes very detailed notes on the chalkboard of everyone's distance from the demon core. Uh. I think we need to talk a little bit about the various ways radiation kills you. Yeah, for sure. So these are the representations of irradiation poisoning. So the first one is hematoidic, hematopoietic. I'm sorry if I'm pronouncing that correctly.
0: Blood, blood. <laughs> i'm trying to think of your hematocrit your hemi. okay yeah i'm, tr- I'm yeah. just trying to put put some of these parts of speech into boxes in my brain yeah, don't worry i'm going to explain what that is
1: okay, so cool. blood cells including white blood cells drop leaving the victim vulnerable to infections your blood if your white blood cells are gone you don't you can't have fight off. Not, exactly as neutrons tear apart the cells Radiation burns appear, blistering and breaking the skin open. Without a proper blood count, wounds do not heal and are
0: pretty much consistently open to exposure. So it's like two levels of damage uh, just from that aspect. Like, the radiation is tearing open your cells and then your cells also don't have enough white blood cells to like fight off the infection, so like the wounds stay open.
1: Yeah, and even your red blood cells are dropping at this time, too, which means that your blood can't clot either. So if you have internal bleeding, you're pretty much fucked. Okay, wow. All right. Yeah, there's actually a horrific story. Uh, There's a documentary that's just simply called uh, Hiroshima, and it's interviewing people who survived the bombing and one is a woman who lost her husband during it and they were actually able to get to a field hospital they tried to give him a blood transfusion but his blood went clot and he ended up bleeding out oh my gosh okay radiation literally melts your body it destroys all of your cells one at a time and depending on your exposure determines how much you're going to be able to survive okay so the next representation is gastrointestinal guess what that is (laughs) <laughs> uh diarrhea that's part of actually uh, bloody so, diarrhea <laughs> that too <laughs> vomiting and severe abdominal pain soon after radiation exposure is often seen as signs of lethality oh, so no. if you're exposed and you like throw up within like the next like five to ten minutes you're gonna die yeah, pretty much. Wow. And this could be as soon as minutes to an hour. And though the subject may not die until years after the exposure, it is often the result of radiation exposure and complications. So,
0: even if, like, it doesn't kill you... like That the- will be the thing that kills you, though.
1: Yeah, like, look at cancer rates in Japan after the bombings. It's horrifying. Okay. So this includes a loss of appetite, nausea. In some cases, a bone marrow transplant is required to preserve life. If this Whoa. option is not available, death is certain.
0: Wow. Okay. And I guess a bone marrow transplant would then um, like retrigger your body's ability to produce those like red and white blood cells because your own bone marrow has been damaged so it needs help?
1: Yeah and actually leukemia is a very common sickness people would get as a result of atomic
0: poisoning. Okay good to know.
1: Uh, And then there is neurological and vascular Symptoms include dizziness, headaches, the inability to maintain consciousness. If these
0: signs appear in minutes to hours, death is guaranteed. Wow. So like there's a lot of like symptoms that can tip you off that this is going to kill you.
1: Yeah. So whenever someone receives a lethal dose of radiation, it may not be apparent immediately that they're going to die of radiation because immediately you look like a normal person. Sure. They call this phase the walking ghost phase because you're pretty much on your way out. Shit. Yeah. So uh, I know you did not enjoy the Chernobyl TV show as we've spoken (laughs) of earlier on in this (laughs) podcast. I feel like if they cut it in half. But But like uh, the firefighters, they were in the walking ghost phase once they left Chernobyl. And they talk about how at Chernobyl the sky was glowing. And with what you know now, you know that's very, very, very fucking bad. Yeah, things glow that shouldn't glow. It's not a good sign. So now everyone's, this blast has gone out. Slowden's had everyone mark their place on the ground and now where they are in the room are gonna be data points for the rest of their lives. Mm. So immediately after, Sloden enters what we call the
0: walking ghost phase. What a What a scary and like apt sounding name for this. Yeah, the moment he
1: leaves the lab, he throws up. Oh no,
0: he's pregnant. <laughs> yeah, right? He's having a little irradiation baby. <laughs> oh, no, <laughs> that's the true demon core.
1: <laughs> All right, so uh, he gets what we now today call acute radiation syndrome, and I've already described those symptoms to you. I skipped ahead a little bit, so we're going to go into the aftermath. So on May 30th of 1946, at 11 a.m., Lewis Slotin became the second fatal victim of the Demon Corps.
0: And so, um, help me, this is May. When did the incident happen? When was that again? This is nine days after. Oh, shit, okay. Yeah, yeah, it's...
1: Pretty damn quick. Mm. He died in the presence of his family nine days after his exposure. His skin had blistered red, then black, and then slopped off his
0: body in some areas. Oh my God. Um, You may or may not know this, but this makes me curious is that, is it like contagious? Like, if you take on a certain amount, can, like, then your family also be exposed to the radiation in your body? Yes. Okay.
1: Yes, they can. So uh, that's actually something else they talk about in uh, the Chernobyl documentary. They tell one of the wives of the firemen that she can't see her husband for more than 30 seconds and she absolutely cannot touch him. Wow. Yeah, in fact, uh, all the firefighters from uh, Chernobyl, they were all buried in lead-lined coffins and their tombs were secured in cement. Shit, okay. Yeah, yeah. And so uh, in his last days, he suffered from severe diarrhea and reduced urinary ability and then paralysis of the intestine and gangrene to his unhealed wounds. His hands and arms sustained the worst of it, swelling, blistering, and then
0: dying first. Because he was right. I mean, his hands and arms were like the closest to everything, right?
1: Yeah, he had his left hand on top of the core when it went critical. And then like he... used his hand, like, and then his other hand had the screwdrivers, like, those were the closest
0: things. Okay.
1: And there will be pictures online of what his hands look like. These are his hands, like, immediately after, like, within the first day or so. So I'm not going to show you the blistery, slopping skin coming off his hands. Bless you for that. Yeah. If you guys want to see what radiation burns actually look like, you can Google it yourself. Don't, don't come to me for that noise. We're not enabling you. Google, Google, Google. His burns were not only on his skin, but they were deep within the tissue and inside his body. So, like, this was cooking his insides. God. By day seven, he was delirious. His lips turned blue as he entered an oxygen tent and his organs failed. His last days were spent, luckily, in a coma.
0: Yeah, I imagine the body can only handle so much processing of pain and trauma before your consciousness is like, I'm out. Yeah, it's just like, I'm just not
1: doing this anymore. You can, by vessel, that is the body. Wow. So now I'm going to tell you what happened to the other seven men in the room. So, Graves died at age 55 of heart attack. This was 20 years after the accident. He was, yeah, it was 20 years later. He was skiing at the time. Sezlicki died of acute melanoid leukemia 19 years after the accident, which they believe may have been due to the accident. Right. He was 42 at the time. Aplastic anemia paired with a bacterial infection of the heart took the life of young 27 years
0: at the age of 83. That is sad. I'm sorry. My face lit up when you said aplastic anemia. <laughs> There's <laughs> a girl on Before the 90 Days, a 90 Day Fiance spinoff that I'm watching right now, <laughs> who has aplastic anemia, and it's like a really intense autoimmune condition where you can like uh, die from any like the common cold or anything like that. So it makes sense that that might be related to.
1: Yeah, like all these people died uh, between 20 and 30 years after the accident. That's just these three, all. Okay. Three, their deaths are believed to be related to their exposure from the experiment.
0: Yeah, I'm curious even about like the heart attack because I wonder like what kind of degradation to like cardiac muscle or something related to that.
1: Yeah, and I'm thinking about you know the vascular symptoms. uh, Oh, yeah. And I'm also thinking about you know uh, the blood symptoms where like immediately you lose blood cells and it's like imagine your heart trying to react to all that.
0: Yeah, that sounds like a lot of stress on the body.
1: Yeah, on top of your heart being cooked at the same time. (laughs) Right. Being shot with neutron bullets. Ugh, okay. Yikes. Schreiber died of natural causes at 52 years after the accident. He was 88 years old. Perlman is suspected to have died in 1988, 24 years after the accident. He was reported to be in good health. Hey! So, I mean, hey, there are some good things.
0: Yeah, some um, people, like, I wonder also, like, is it is it proximity? Like, what are the thi- I wonder what determines, like, what kind of and how much damage you take?
1: It really has to do with uh, proximity and amount, and that's uh, okay. one of the things we'll talk about in a minute. Okay. So Private Cleary was killed in action in Sept- on September 3rd of 1950 while serving in the Korean War. So we don't have any data about what the radiation may have done to his body, he was sure. killed in action before anything happened. Klein died in 2001, 55 years after the accident the cause of his death is unknown because he refused to take place in the studies following the accident. Hmm. So, but as a result of this, he was denied access to his own medical records.
0: Oh, wow. So they were like, nope, if you don't participate in the research, then you can't see the stuff about your own body. That seems
1: yeah. <laughs> could you fucking suspect. Imagine like having like shit popping up and then being like, My doctor needs to know my history and he needs these records so he can potentially treat me. And the military is like, you won't let us document what your doctor's saying. You don't get to know what's wrong with you. Yeah, that's, um, I'm going to say fucked up, (laughs)
0: super fucked
1: up. Yeah, I mean, I can- I see kind of why the military wanted to do it this way, not that I approve of it, but I do understand that they wanted to understand what atomic exposure or atomic radiation exposure does to people over
0: time. Sure, you just shouldn't coerce them with access to their own medical- Exactly!
1: <laughs> so, yeah, the ends do not justify the means. Well,
0: and also, like, from what I know about, like, research participation, we've come a long way, ethics-wise, since the 50s and 60s, but, like, consent, informed consent is, like, a hugely important thing, like, coercing people to participate in research through some sort of means of power that you have over them is, uh, icky and can invalidate some of that research.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So, the demon core was eventually detonated at Bikini Atoll. So, they eventually blew it up. They are just like, you know what, we're done with this. Uh, (laughs) Slotin's test was actually the very last one that was performed on the device. So after that, they were just like, eh, let's just send it off to the atolls, you know, where we're irradiating innocent people in the Pacific Ocean. That's not great either! So despite the horrors of the accident, Slotin's death as well as follow-up studies of all present at the time in the accident helped accelerate our modern understanding of radiation poisoning and lethality. New devices, such as the Godiva series, were constructed to separate operators from (laughs) lethal and dangerous
0: materials. I mean, that seems like pretty... Like, it's weird that so many people had to die for this to happen, but I think that's also... Uh, I heard this amazing saying a while back I think we brought, I probably brought this up in one of our past episodes, maybe PEPCON but like um, the idea that like your safety regulations, maybe you even brought this up I don't know whose idea this was, but uh, like your safety regulations are written in blood like for every stupid rule that you think like of course we do it this way or like why do we have to do it this way? It doesn't make any sense. It's like because someone was seriously injured or died from not doing it that way.
1: Yeah. The Los Alamos research has actually put together the Louis A. Slotin Memorial Fund, which lasted until 1962. This fund allowed distinguished scientists to perform lectures related to physics. So this Good. like helped pay for them to go around the world, to teach in classrooms, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Following his death, the Los Alamos Times editor Thomas P. Ashlock wrote the following poetic dedication to Slotin: "May God receive you, great-souled scientist. While you are with us, even strangers know the breadth and lofty stature of your mind." "'Twas only the crucible of death. "'We saw your last noble heart revealed.'" Wow. So I have some um, mixed feelings about Slotin because apparently okay. it's like, I respect that even after the accident, he was like, I know I'm going to die, but I'm going to take down all this data so people can understand what this does to you further down the line. Yeah. That being said, they had better ways to do criticality tests. You don't need to do it with a screwdriver. You don't need to do it as fast and loose as he did it. Um, And this was before the Godiva series was invented. They did have other things that he could have used in the lab. So I'm also like, you were showboating with an atomic core. With the core of an
0: atom bomb. A weapon that ended a world war. So it seems kind of foolhardy, to say the least. Yeah, so I'm like, you were brilliant. We
1: understand, you know the things that you contributed to science, but at the same time, you were too smart to be this dumb.
0: <laughs> t-shirt idea. <Yeah. laughs> too smart Next to be t-shirt. this dumb.
1: <laughs> you think my mom said that to me once? <laughs> <laughs> that,
0: that's a very, like, parent statement.
1: Wow! Yes,
0: that's the atomic core. It was this is like a meaningful sacrifice, but potentially like an unnecessary, seemingly unnecessary one. (laughs) Yeah. There. Do you want to hear something that's going to piss you off even more? Always.
1: So you remember how I told you about that lab assistant that died months earlier from the same atomic core? Yes. The person doing that test was doing the exact same criticality test. Also using a screwdriver and also slipped.
0: I mean, so, so this is all wholly unnecessary. Like, this happened once, and we were like, but what would happen if we did it again? For some reason,
1: and most of us are guilty of this, everyone thinks that they're invincible, and it's like, well, this person couldn't do it, but I know I could do it. I know that. It's why there are so many stupid criminals out there they are like, I'll be smarter than all the other criminals, and I'll actually have a successful bank robbery, and then they get arrested. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Yeah, I just don't, like, I have the opposite problem, like, whatever, like, a total lack of hubris is, like, that's my issue. (laughs) It's like, oh, I probably can't do simple things. As we've discussed,
1: I have no common sense when it comes to personal safety, which is probably why I broke my back. (laughs) But at the same time, now that I'm no longer in pain, and I've actually healed quite nicely since I've been able to work from home, um... Now I'm like, okay, we can do, like, parkour-type things again and jump over things, and we can go snowboarding again, when in the back, way, way, way back of my mind, there's a little voice being like, is that the smartest thing you should be doing with your newfound mobility?
0: And my front of mind is like, of course! (laughs) Whereas me, last week, I injured my finger scrubbing cat food off the floor. So we're different levels of adventurousness. (laughs) My favorite was when I, so... People who listen to the podcast, you don't
1: know this about me, but I am a, I'm very OCD. Like, I clean all the time. I like things organized. I like things set and just so. And I came out of Lacey's bathroom one day and I was like, Lacey, how did the mirror on the back of your bathroom door break? And she was like, you of all people will appreciate this. I was cleaning too hard. <laughs> I broke the mirror. <laughs> I was Windexing my little heart out. <laughs> Well, actually, I now have one of those same mirrors, like, on the inside of my closet door, so whenever I clean it, I'm like, don't go too hard. (laughs) Lacey learned that Lacey's sacrifice will not be in vain.
0: (laughs) Never forget this index finger injury. I just taped it together, too. I'm like, does the bad luck for seven years count if none of the glass hits the floor and if I just use some packing tape to tape it up back together it's not broken it just has character now that's right that's right (laughs) we're all a lot funnier if we've been through some trauma let's be honest Uh, like a... What an awesome, interesting story. I'd, I'd never heard of this before you brought it up at all.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's uh... So I used to really be into dark matters <laughs> because it's just stories like this. It's like weird science stories. Sure. Like, and they do it like with these really cheesy reenactments, but it tells you things that you wouldn't have known before. But this is also going to be a lead-in to our next episode, which is one of the reasons why I wanted to do it like this. The anniversary's coming up, so our next episode is going to be about the Fukushima disaster. And the reason I wanted to cover this before I did the Fukushima disaster is I really wanted people to understand the effects of radiation poisoning, and I want them to understand how dangerous what happened was and the sacrifices people made in the aftermath. All right. So you've kind of laid
0: a foundation for us. Yes. I actually (laughs) set things up. I pre-planned. Yay! (laughs) We do that sometimes on this podcast. I know it doesn't always sound like that, but there are plans that go into this.
1: Yeah. <laughs> uh, so on our future, we're hopefully getting back into our regular routine now. Yeah. Knock on plastic. I don't know, do I have wood around? I do! Um, Knock on cardboard. Yeah, I actually have wood behind me, as you can see. Nice. Um, so- I also... Hold on, I'm gonna shift this a little bit. I also have my dream catcher up. Oh I love it. So thank you for that. Thank you for fending off the nightmares. Um You're
0: welcome.
1: As I said, we I would love to still do cocktails. Uh I think what we're gonna do like as a pivot, even if Lacey still makes cocktails, is what are you drinking right now?
0: Yeah, yeah, I think that's a good good call anyway. We need quarantine check-ins.
1: Yeah, yeah, and I, I'm
0: drinking my coffee out of my owl mug. <laughs> I'm drinking my coffee with my coconut cream liqueur out of my cat mug. <laughs> so as you know, we're a mature adult. As we mature,
1: our podcasts and our drink preferences mature with us.
0: <laughs> I'm pretty proud. I made the rule for myself that I only get liquor in my coffee on weekends. <laughs>
1: I'm actually a little bit sad that we have to uh, be apart right now because of quarantine because I do really love the experience of trying your cocktails
0: because they're always so good. Thank you. I love having a motivation to create something that somebody else will enjoy because I feel like I love cocktails in general and it's a lot easier for me to satisfy my own taste but to be like, ooh, how do I get something that somebody else might like? It's like this level of challenge and excitement. I'm so glad we're recording again. Me too. I have really, like, missed this and missed, like, getting to hang out with you.
1: I miss you too. I mean, I know I get to see you, like, over Skype and Marco Polo, but it's not the same.
0: No, it's not. But it's, de- it's definitely better. I Like, the first couple Marco Polos I did, I was like, I feel really self-conscious. And I don't know where this app fits into my world. And then by, like, the third one, I was like, hey, bitches, I love this. And Lee's like, I'm so glad you're doing this. Yeah. <laughs> like, keep in touch with your friends. And, yeah, it's been yeah. nice. I love seeing everyone's faces when I wake too. up. too.
1: And everybody's pets. Apps.
0: Yes, I feel, I feel like I get to spend time with like all the dogs and cats I don't always get to see. <laughs> yeah, I need to do a new Sky is the Evil Overlord monologue. I haven't done one in a while. Love it so much. She is the evil overlord. Has she still humping Mouse Face, or has she calmed down? Oh, she has stopped that ever since he he bit her on the badge. So. Well, you know, uh, sometimes that's what you got to do to get someone's crotch out of your face. You got to bite it. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Uh, I think that's it.
0: Yeah, I think, uh, I think we did good. What? How much was that? That was about an hour. That was 59 minutes and
1: 28, 29, 30. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this will be about an hour, if not a little bit under an hour after editing, which is like right on the
0: money. We are uh, getting, like, the streamline of this is so nice.
1: I know.
0: <laughs> I'm so happy with how this is turning out. Me too. Well, I guess
1: I should go. I love you. Oh, actually, I'll at least stop recording. Oh, let's- Yeah, we can stop and recording. Should we say, like, an end of the episode thing? Or-
0: Uh, it's the end of the episode. If you haven't figured that out yet, I don't know what you're doing here. Yeah! <laughs> GTF- <laughs> oh, fuck. You don't have to go home, but you can't stay here. <laughs> Cheers? <laughs> Cheers.
1: <Bing>.
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, stay cracked. Crack it like it's hot. I don't know. <laughs> not be the same. Thank you for listening. And if you like what you heard today, please leave us a positive review and a five-star rating and tell your friends. All of that helps people know who we are so that we can bring you more of what you love.
1: If you'd like more information on a specific episode, visit our website, crackpotcocktailhour.com,
0: and click on the episode's link. If you'd like to know when new episodes are coming out and see the cocktail recipes in advance, subscribe to us in your podcast app and follow us on social media. We are Crackpot Cocktail Hour on Facebook, Instagram, and Pinterest, and we're at Crackpot Hour on Twitter.
1: If you've got feedback for an episode or would like to suggest an episode topic, feel free to email us. We're crackpotcocktailhour at gmail.com. Until next time, crackpots. Crack Crack it like it's it's hot. hot.